0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzera. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. And our theme uh, today is My Biggest Regrets, Part One. My Biggest Regrets, Part One. Actually, uh, this came up in a uh, question and answer time I had with a a group of pastors uh, about a month ago. And actually, I was caught off guard by it. Someone asked, what's your biggest regret? and uh, you know I've been in leadership now for 40 years and uh, you know I gave an answer actually was going to be the first point I'm going to make here today but I realized that uh, it really needed more thought and again the more I thought about the question my biggest regrets the list got longer and so I've really got nine or ten depending if the tenth one actually makes it Uh, so I'm dividing this up into a two-part series and uh, my hope and prayer is that it'll save you uh, one or two mistakes. Uh, you've got to make your own. There's no getting around that. That's the way God comes to us. But it's wonderful to avoid as many as possible. Now, let me just uh, frame this in, you know, our mission, or I feel like our calling at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship is to transform church culture uh, through the multiplication of deeply changed leaders and disciples so that's a that's a big that's a big thrust you know transform church culture now everything we're talking about here applies to of course a particular ministry that you may be leading uh, a nonprofit organization or parachurch that perhaps you're involved in of course I know some of you are involved in the marketplace uh, in leadership there and even some of you were involved in family leadership Uh, and so there's applications to that as well uh, so let me just invite you, as I, we go into this Biggest Regrets theme, uh, you know, check out our website, site EmotionallyHealthy.org and uh, look at, in particular, the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course, Part 1 and 2, because that's actually the the way you're going to get in and deep into what does it mean to change you uh, and how do I work that out slowly in my life. And, and then, of course, it fleshes out into transforming everyone around you. But, of course, it, it begins with you. Uh, The state you are in is the state you are going to inevitably bring to everybody around you. So with that, let's launch into uh, my biggest regrets part one. And I'm going to give you really four today. And the next week we'll finish with the other five or or six. All right. So uh, here's my my top regret. uh, And that's this. Not understanding dual relationships and power. Not understanding dual relationships and power. And actually, this began very early on in my leadership when I was involved with a, a parachurch organization that I was on staff with into varsity, and we had a campus fellowship that I was like the chaplain for or, or leader for, student led, and it was about probably thirty students involved, maybe forty, and uh, everyone was into being. You know, we're a democracy. We're you know we're all equal, and no one's above anybody else, and and there was two. Uh, young ladies in particular, uh, who really enforced this, that we couldn't make any decisions unless everybody in the room agreed. And uh, so over a period of months and as the year progressed, uh, this campus fellowship was completely uh, stuck, trapped, immovable. And it was these two in particular who just insisted that, no, this principle must be, uh, upheld which is no decisions are made unless all 30 or 40 of us agree and so i was finally so flustered i i brought in a uh an older you know friend also on staff at a different university to come in and just give me his assessment of the situations he, he'd been you know had a lot more experience with these kinds of things and within you know after like one meeting he sat through and pulled me aside he goes oh you know nobody wants to be in power because you're all equal in power he goes those two individuals have all the power because they have determined that this is the principle that and the hill that this fellowship will die on that everyone must agree and so they have the power and they're holding on to the power they're just coming at it in a very uh non-clear indirect way uh and that was my first experience of understanding power And, and and he shared with me Pete, power is always somewhere the question is where is it now that was my first introduction to this notion of power. and, and uh, But there was a lot more to come uh, over the years. And my not understanding dual relationships in power. And I think when we planted our church, finally here in Queens, and we all started and we were all friends. And I just saw myself as one of the group. I just happened to be the lead pastor. Uh, very confusing. Uh, and, and then I remember we, uh, you know, some of our, our friends that, uh, we live near we just had some different views of the way to go forward uh in the vision of the church and uh as we were changing as the years progressed and I remember saying well uh to him well I'm you know I'm the senior pastor so I guess my vision wins and I remember he looked at me and very puzzled and said well all of a sudden you're pulling out the power card and the authority card you never did that all our years together and you know, he was really sad and hurt and wounded and now I understand why, and rightfully so. And then even years later, where actually I consider one of the most painful moments of our entire lives, when uh, years into New Life Fellowship Church, when I was the lead pastor, uh, and we were all you know, in leadership, and we were friends and, uh, uh, in leadership together. Uh, some worked for me. And to make a long story short, it was just very, very difficult and painful when I finally actually let go a couple of friends from employment, Uh, and uh, it was so confusing. Uh, They felt very betrayed, a couple of folks, and, ugh, we lost friendships of 20 years, and but I take full responsibility I, in terms of being ignorant and not understanding power, not understanding dual relationships and put them in a very unfair position. And, and actually, the reason that that, that that painful experience was so uh, profound and far reaching for uh, for me that uh, I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to figure this thing out finally of power and boundaries and dual relationships. And and actually the Emotionally Heavy Leader book, which many of you are familiar with, actually came out of that one struggle. Because uh, uh, no one talked about it. it was so rarely talked about in uh, in leadership, in whether it's conferences or books, that uh, I just made it a quest to say I've got to try to figure this thing out. And my goodness, so I, I would say the Emotional the Leader book, which you know it's got lots of stuff in it, but the, the one chapter on power and wise boundaries is worth the whole book, as far as I'm concerned. I must have wrote it, written that chapter. 30 times, 20, 30, 40 times uh, So I really felt like I got it, you know, as right as I could uh, because there is a lot of complexity to it. So let me just read you, I have uh, uh, 10 principles for exercising, you know, wise boundaries and power and I'll I'll just read it through quickly and I don't want to go into a major sidetrack but just to kind of give a bit of what some of my learnings were in, in this process uh, that I'll just share with you. One is to do an honest inventory of the power God has granted you. Uh, you know, again, I, I, did, I did not understand uh, the power I was holding as, I mean, I barely understand it even as a father. My four children are now adults, our uh, four girls, and uh, we have two grandchildren. And I see the power that we had over our children. And you see, I see it with age. I don't think I understood it even as a parent. Uh, let alone as a lead pastor of a church and all that it involved was standing up every week and, or almost every week and, and basically teaching people what God is saying about how they should live their lives. That's a lot of power. People sitting there for 30 to 40 minutes listening to you and uh, all the leaders and their whole lives are, are revolving around following the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm the point leader giving them the, the guidance and clarity of what that even looks like. I mean, that was just, that's just huge. And, um, uh, you know, it doesn't when a spouse says uh, of a leader, "Oh, I don't have any power. I'm in a position. No one listens to me." Uh, that's uh, that's not true. And actually, it's not loving to say that because you do have power, and uh, it is real. And people see you differently. They project onto you different things. You know. Second principle is you know, unless when you're in dual relations, relations with people, such as you're their pastor, you're their boss, you're their uh, leader you're their friend uh you're their confidant you know just in, in get wise counsel when you're monitoring dual relationships so uh mentors and therapists and elders and church boards mature friends can give us perspective and counsel and it's very critical we know our limits and we defer to the discernment of others when we're involved in dual relationships even something as employer and friend uh it's just it just Comple- complex. Not that you can't be in a dual relationships, it's just complicated. And when it, when it goes poorly, uh, the implications are vast. They're just, the, the pain is far-reaching. In fact, when I was, after all this pain, I, I did a kind of informal research of talking to people from uh, all sorts of communities and workplaces. I'm, uh, cause I, I just I wanted to find out, has anyone been spared the pain of uh, you know, community broken and relationships broken and I found out the answer is no Uh, it is if you're with a community or a workplace for decades uh, you will have somewhere in there a deep pain of a relationship or betrayal Uh, I'm convinced at this point that God allows it to help us understand and know Jesus but a lot of it is unnecessary and again what I would call stupid pain not clean pain it's clean pain and dirty pain uh, you want the clean pain, not the dirty pain. You want to watch out for, uh, fourth principle, for early warning signs of danger. Uh, people change, we change, churches change, and what works now may not work years from now. And the ability to have you know honest conversations with people is very important. You want to be sensitive to cultural, gender, ethnic, and generational nuances. There are cultural and historical differences around power, authority, age, and gender. Uh, again, just male, female. Uh, you know, I think we have many immigrants here in, in Queens New York. I mean just being an immigrant into a country versus someone who's lived there your whole life, color of your skin, uh, I mean it's gigantic. you want to always be a learner, ask questions. Uh, like we have a lot we have a lot of for example, South Asians in our church the way they see power and authority is very different. Um, and so you want to just be learning and be sensitive to that. Uh, when you release people, you want to do it in a very loving way. Uh, and you want to always remember the burden uh to set boundaries and keep them clear always falls on the person with greater power uh and so that's something I did not understand I thought oh you just got to get it you know I'm your lead pastor but now we're going out camping and we're just friends uh that's a uh without talking about something like that 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 you're putting a, a weight on them to be able to juggle that and uh but the, the responsibility is always with the person with greater power that's why I, I take full responsibility for the some of the hurts that I caused because I was unaware of my power and dual relationships and so that's why I like to say be friends with friends and a pastor to parishioners and a mentor to mentees, and a supervisor to employees or volunteers and you want to just monitor your relationships and ask yourself what role is primary in this relationship am I primarily a friend uh, who is this person to me and who am I to this person uh, and you're just asking those kinds of questions, and, uh, and of course, there's, there's a certain loneliness that comes with leadership, and I think we see that in Jesus. Uh, you may not like that. That's going to be another podcast at some point, the loneliness of leadership, uh, and uh, there's a challenge, and then you want to just ask for grace to forgive those who hurt you. Uh, we'll call them your enemies, you know, and, and forgive yourself for the mistakes you make, because I, I, it took me a while to even forgive myself for some of the pain I caused and cause you will make mistakes and uh, you will hurt people uh, when you're exercising leadership. It's just the nature of handling power, which, Oh my Lord, it's such a, it's, it's a weight, but I ask for forgiveness and reconcile whenever possible. Uh, I feel like we have reconciled our relationships and feel good and about that. But um, my goodness, I, I wish I didn't see power. The word power as a dirty word. Um, so you want to study this and learn it. I, I would encourage you to read that chapter on power and wise boundaries. Uh, look at the footnotes and uh, learn, grow, ask questions. It'll be worth it. So that's my first. My first regret, not understanding power and dual relationships. My second is impatience. My second regret is just impatience and rushing to make key decisions. Uh, impatience and rushing to make key decisions. Uh, and I, you uh, know, if any story I think captures that, it's a story of Abraham uh, and Sarah at the age of 85 and 75 when he they got impatient about waiting for God to bring them the promised son out of their marriage. And so they rushed things, got impatient, and had a baby. And Ishmael was born through Hagar, their maidservant. And I think of story. I think of my, I, I have a list here of when I was impatient. Um, you know, significantly impatient and rushed, uh, in a key decision and three and the regret, regret I have on that. And I think of, uh, one where I, I, I did not bring our, uh, our board, our elders, uh, into a key decision, uh, or timing of letting a couple of people go, um, deep regret on that one. You know, when I, uh, again, I think I had get some staffing decisions, uh, which were the right decisions, it was just timing and how it was done, and I just got impatient and frustrated. I, uh, launching a couple of key ministries that I really, I do believe to this state God had called me to do, and one was launching a Spanish church, uh, Iglesia de Nueva Vida, and uh, I was impatient. I, God had led us to Latin America, we spent a year there learning Spanish, Uh, I spent another year, uh, Jerry and I living and working in an all-Spanish environment uh, here in Queens, New York, and so really perfecting my Spanish, enormous investment in that. Then we launched New Life Fellowship in English, but I really felt uh, a calling from God to do both Spanish and English, but we were three years into it and we hadn't launched the Spanish congregation yet, you know, and uh, it was just in English and I just grew impatient. And so I rushed it uh, before we had things in place. and. it just caused a lot of chaos, unnecessary chaos, and you know it all worked out in long view. But uh, there was there was repercussions, uh, even our a buying of our building uh, and all the anxiety that went into that. And I look back now, and my goodness, you know, and just some of the impatience and, and rushing and in that, and and then our, you know, I launched a community development corporation, and again, it's just really to serve the poor in our midst, and had a vision for it and held on to that vision for a number of years and I just got tired of waiting. And I can remember one meeting with a, a wealthy donor and a couple of other people in the room. And I said, let's launch this program. And uh, someone said to me, well, what's, you know, what's the rush? And cause it was, it was we, we could do it at that point. And I just said, we've waited long enough. You know, it's God's timing. Oh, so foolish. And again, caused us to wander in the wilderness for a while until things got on their feet. But again, needless, impatience, and rushing. And so, you know, I, I can remember one one instance in particular where I made a decision and I, and I got, I, I was actually seeing a um, at that point a very, you know, very effective uh, counselor, you know, therapist. and uh, But uh, they were... Uh, uh, was out of their own history. We were a bit, con- they were, they were heavy on the confrontation, which I needed at the time. And, uh, you know, gave me counsel, you know, kind of led me down a road, of like, just go for it, just do it. And I realized that it was a big decision I was taking about, again, it had to do with hiring and firing and that kind of thing. And I really, it was such a big decision. I really needed additional counsel, um, at least another, you know, in the abundance of counselors, there is wisdom, it says in Proverbs 15. And, uh, you know, I had another good mentor friend that uh, I I regretted later I did not call him uh, and get his feedback. Uh, I, I will never do that again, make a large decision without a, a multiple counselors speaking into it. And again, when the feeling of frustration was uh, is built in me, I know enough now to know that, I'm not in any place to make any decision, uh, and the, was, the decision I made at that point was out of frustration, and I took one person's counsel, and that was really dumb. And uh, so again, there's there's uh, wise counsel is is incredibly important. And again, let me just let me just make a couple comments about the story of Abraham and Isaac because it's such a great story. You know, you know, at, at one point Abraham uh, or Sarah says, you know, the Lord's kept me from having children. It's Sarah, you know, and like basically, it's God's fault this hasn't come about, and so you know Sarah takes initiative and sets some goals. We're going to have a baby through you know my maidservant Hagar, and what's interesting is what they did. Abraham and Sarah was was totally acceptable and reasonable and permissible in their time and day. It was legally, socially, morally, culturally, it was fine. It was a le- it was a proper legal practice. If your wife couldn't have a child, just go to your personal maid, and they went to their Egyptian servant Hagar. Uh, And, you know, I could define an Ishmael. We birth an Ishmael because we're rushing and impatient. It's basically getting our goals by skillful determination and planning uh, when things are just moving too slow for us. And uh, basically their perspective is we think, and we think like Abraham and Isaac, if we don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, all of Abraham's love and hopes and dreams were poured into, you know, having that child and, uh, just got impatient and he, they ran ahead of God and don't wait. Uh, it would take, you know, another 13 years. Um, and, uh, I've birthed a number of Ishmael's in my life out of impatience, you know, with God and his timing. And it's just dumb. It's just dumb. And starting projects, initiatives, comparing myself with other churches, you know, you know, I even think of reconciliation one of our mission statements of the church has been always been bridging racial, cultural, economic and gender barriers. And I've tried rushing that, uh, you know, you want to bridge barriers of race and culture and class and gender. I mean, yeah, you can do it quick, but you know what it ain't gonna last. I know I've done it, uh, you know, hiring people, making people interns real quickly. And uh, it just doesn't work. Uh, you know, even speaking, uh, I spe- you know, speaking publicly and, uh, in my early days, I did some speaking around the country and I, I realized I s- felt it in my spirit. I, I am not ready for this. I am premature. I'm not mature enough to do this and had to pull back. And I've even manipulated in a rush people's transformation, uh, you know, getting people to change quickly. What that will do is that will put legalism into place. And uh, I've done it. And you're pressuring. I was pressuring people to, to function a certain way. Rather than allowing the growth of God in their life to happen slowly, organically, from the inside out. And like Abraham, I don't like mystery. I don't like mess. And I like what John of the Cross said in the 1500s. Many of us have a spiritual sweet tooth. We like good feelings. We're not into dryness and doubts and struggle and the cross and the cup of suffering. And you know, I, so much of my you know leadership was birthing Ishmael's. And the great news is God uses us for his glory. Thank God. Um, and even I think of our, our our Spanish church plant that happened, and I, I I led it for the first five years. I mean they, you know, they're they're they've done a great job, and and uh, now years later, and they've planted you know more than twenty churches you know, around Latin America here in the United States, and you know God's done good things, but uh, the process was not uh, was not not God's, and so you know waiting is hard. It's awful. It's incomplete, but uh, it, it's part of the way God changes us and the things that we lead. So, you know. Ask yourself, are you afraid to ask God for his will and timing in the situations that are before you? And uh, are you even comfortable exploring what is your hidden motivations? You know, what's going on in there? And, and uh, or are you moving too quickly? Because when, when you're moving quickly, very often we're trying to bypass something. You know, pain, loss, you know, rejection, whatever. And uh, so and, and are you getting the wise counsel you need uh, from people who are going to disagree with you, from people more mature than you? As it says in Proverbs, you know, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man or woman listens to advice. In Proverbs 28, he who trusts in himself is a fool. So, and then are you just too busy and distracted to actually take the time to listen to the voice of God? And uh, that's where Abraham really missed it. So, okay, so first regret had to do with, you know, dual relationships and not understanding power. The second was impatience and rushing. But uh, my third biggest regret and... Uh, maybe this should have been first, you know, was not leading out of my marriage uh, for the first nine years, or not listening to the Holy Spirit coming through uh, my marriage for the first nine years. And, uh, you know, it's been a long time, you know, and it's been 26 years since then, but I can't get those first nine years back. And uh, I think of our first two daughters, we have four daughters— those early years I you know I lost it I, I just I lost those years because I was I was working way too much and it's I'm sad about it I, it, was, it was a waste and um, so much pain again foolishness uh I didn't see Jerry's limits uh, as God's gift to me her perspective uh, the fact that we're one flesh I didn't really understand what that meant uh, and uh, of course I'm now very fully aware that the core of our gift to the world and church is uh, is our marriage so it took me a long time to get a theology of marriage uh, you know after Jesus I, I you know is I, I, Jesus is first and after that is 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 a marriage that's a sign and a wonder for Christ and, and that's why it's so important to build a great marriage if you're married and to lead out of the overflow of that and make the investment and do the work in that and 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 um, uh, yeah. I mean, there's so much more I can say about that, but um, that was my third big regret. Those first nine years, eight, nine years that really could have been, uh, been very different than they were. But again, uh, ignorance and some bad counsel as well, uh, because those were the models I saw and had never seen a marriage that was thriving of, of leaders. And uh, yeah, that's just really sad. All right, let me give you my last one here for today and then we'll pick it up next week. And my fourth regret that, uh, you know, I wish I could have do differently was I would have worked less, uh, rested more and given away responsibility earlier. So again, I would have worked less, uh, rested more and given away response or, or delighted more and then given away responsibility uh, earlier. You know, I did more than God asked in my leadership and I regret that. Uh, A lot of that was driven by fear and anxiety. And I mentioned to you, for example, even just the buying of our building. We bought a six and a half million dollar building in uh, 2003 uh, that needed probably three to four million dollars worth of work. And what do I know about buying buildings? Commercial real estate in New York City and all the mess that that is and all the complexities. And. I, being the founder and lead pastor, of course, I carried it on my back, you know, trying to get the church a home. And and I, just, I, I was dying. You know, I had asked God to spare me the suffering of ever buying a building. Get me out of this thing before that would happen, before our church would have to buy something. But there I was. It just fell on us. And we ended up, you know, buying this building. And I realized God was not going to spare me from the suffering of that. And I grew from it. But again, a lot of it was dumb, stupid pain, not clean, healthy pain from God. But I remember it was a few months before uh, we were going to close in the building, and I was, I was exhausted. And uh, one of our leaders in the church, who had a background in real estate, uh, just he, he said he said a whole lot of experience and within the city of New York and all the yelling and screaming that goes with that and duplicities. And he just said, Pete, I want you to, you know, I just, I want, I want to take this over for you. And he offered to take it over and, um, uh, so I could pastor the church and be about what God had given me to do. And make a long story short, he did come in and take it over totally. And he was super competent. I mean, I was burnt out at that point and, uh, it had been five years of working at it. And then he took it over once we bought the building. But I realized that I hindered the process, I, I was hurting the process. And uh, he was super competent. You know, it's interesting. Now I'm, I'm six years. I was a lead pastor for 26 years at our church. And uh, then I, you know, I stepped down and someone else is now leading the church, uh, rich. And so I'm watching the church. And, and it's interesting because I, I look at it now. And in some ways, the church is much healthier. Uh, power is much more spread out in a variety of people. Uh, you know, the church is different. Uh, and in, in many ways, it's better. It's not the same church, of course. When Jerry and I were leading it, and the answer is, thank God, uh, that's good. Uh, I'm a better person. I think the church is better, and I can see if I had stayed too long, uh, I would have hurt the, pe- the what God wanted to do. And I think of raising up different kind of people, spreading out power. You know, as the founder, you just have. A, I, I just had a certain amount of power. Again, I did not appreciate what it meant to be the founder leader. That is different than being. The leader who comes after a founder, uh, even though a lead pastor has enormous uh, power. But it's so interesting growing older and watching it now. And uh, my goodness, I sure wish I had worked less, uh, rested more, and given away responsibility earlier. And I'll pick up on one or two other regrets uh, next week you know, even just moving to a five day week or five and a third day week and sabbathing and sabbaticals. I had three sabbaticals, uh, of three to four months each. The first one was nine years in. That was way too late. Um, it takes enormous discipline to step back and to rest, uh, and trust God. He's got it. Uh, you know, some people won't understand it. And I want to encourage you to research sabbaticals. I don't care if you're in the marketplace. Uh, it, it's a, It's not just that you need a rest from the work you're doing. The, the probably the work you're leading needs a rest from you. Uh, the church needs a rest from you, and uh, the business needs a rest from you. And uh, it's actually a gift. So again, you want to see the big picture. You know, I love Psalm 78, uh, where you know the psalmist says, you know, my people hear my teaching. We will not hide you know this teaching from the descendants. We tell them to the next generation. And so the next generation would know, you know, God's commands, even their children yet to be born. And in turn, they would tell their children. So we we had a meeting last night. and In the meeting was a young couple, uh, recently married uh, in their mid-20s. And really what Psalm 78 is saying is, you know, basically think of them, uh, this generation, and then their children, which I thought, okay, they're going to have children in the year 2000, uh, perhaps. if They do have children uh, probably in five, six years, 2025. And then their the Psalmist talks about their, the children's children, which would be 2055. And I thought, oh, the children's children's children is 2085. The God's thing, look at generations of what you're doing. And again, that perspective of thinking about, okay, the next 60, 70 years here, what's God going to be doing? And so you want to find out your rhythms, what works for you. Um, and, uh, Get objectivity as much as possible outside the system so your emotionality and anxiety doesn't take over. Ah, there's so much more to say. So I have I have five or six more regrets. We'll get to that. Uh, but these four are my top four. And I pray they've been a help to you. And so God bless everybody. Have a wonderful day. Uh, come visit us at www.emotionallyhealthy.org. And uh, I pray that my mistakes uh, will help you avoid. Uh, similar ones in the months and years to come. God bless everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.